0: Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Olson. This podcast is produced to give fundraisers and nonprofit leaders like you the tools to increase mission impact. Tune in weekly so you don't miss a thing. Your mission is critical. Your resources are finite. You need a partner that can deliver customized, scalable, and relevant donor communications that increase response and maximize net long-term revenue for your cause. You need Altus Marketing. Check us out at altusmktg.com or email me directly at A-O-L-S-E-N at A-L-T-U-S-M-K-T-G.com to learn how we can elevate your fundraising results. And now here's today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show today. Uh, this is Andrew Olson. I'm thrilled to be here with uh, Reverend Glenn Cranfield, who is president and CEO of Nashville Rescue Mission and has led the mission there since 2012. You know, prior to that... Glenn led City Rescue Mission in Oklahoma City for uh, a little over a decade. He's a, a national thought leader and advocate on the issues of poverty and homelessness. And uh, what I think is awesome is he's he's got a passion for helping the homeless and hurting to encounter real lasting life change through the transformational love of God, which, which is just so inspiring to me. Uh, Glenn, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Great to have you here. I I also want to mention that uh, you are you are the host of the Real Hope podcast. So I encourage everybody who's listening to this, uh, once you've heard our conversation, jump over to that podcast, take a listen, subscribe, and uh, start to enjoy some additional content from Glenn. Glenn, before we get into uh, our questions today, could you take just a couple of minutes tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and the Ministry of Nashville, Nashville Rescue Mission?
1: Yeah, sure, absolutely. So I was born and raised in Oklahoma and uh, lived there until 2012, and so in 2012, moved to Tennessee, so tell people uh, I wasn't born here, but I got here as quick as I could, (laughs) and so uh, we absolutely love Tennessee, love Nashville, thrilled to be here, thrilled to be at Nashville Rescue Mission. Andrew, I was born in a pastor's home, raised in a pastor's home, so uh, grew up serving uh, in children's ministry and youth ministry, you know, one of those children that I got to work in the church without getting paid, right? My, with my dad is a pastor. So we had a lot of opportunity to really with engaging with people and 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 serving people. and so I, I i got to the point where I knew I really enjoyed relationships, really loved people. and so i I knew that I didn't want to be a pastor. and so I, I, I graduated from college as a music instructor. So I was a band director in high school for five years, thoroughly enjoyed that, had a great time. At the same time, still involved in youth ministry at our local church. And then after five years, I went to work for a company called Hobby Lobby. And so I was on the Christian side of that, the Christian bookstore, the Mardell Christian bookstore side of the Hobby Lobby corporate family. And uh, that's where I really learned a lot about Christian principles in business. And I'm God was preparing me for kind of what I'm doing today. And then and after a short time in that, then I found out about this city rescue mission in Oklahoma City, which you mentioned earlier. And someone had asked me to go down and do a chapel service at city rescue mission. Well, I didn't know anything about the rescue mission. I didn't know anything about homelessness, really, or poverty. And so, but I agreed to go down And I went down that night, and I shared the love of Christ with the men, women, and children there at the mission, and it literally changed my life. I know people say that all the time, but when people say that, I know what they're talking about because this really changed my life. God put a hook in my heart, and really, not an audible voice, but just an impression in my heart, shared with me, this is what I want you to do. I want you to share my love, my grace the, the the care that I have for the homeless and poor. and so that was in 1992 and so basically I've been doing something similar to this since then.
0: That's awesome. well um, as a pastor's kid myself I, I can totally relate to to your uh, comment about doing doing ministry work and not getting paid for it that that sums up my childhood as well. Um, appreciate you sharing about right. your background. Um, You know, I w- I want to talk about leadership with you, and and you've been doing this now for a good while. You've you've led multiple organizations and a lot of teams. And the and first thing I want to talk about is is your values. So when you think about the values that are most important to you, a leader as a leader, what what would you say are those top couple of of values that come to mind? And I'm also curious, how do you make sure that you are honoring those in your day-to-day leadership?
1: Yeah, that's a great, great question in in leadership. And so I have some personal values and and we've really kind of adopted those here uh, at Nashville Rescue Mission and did at City Rescue Mission as well. And so while they're corporate values, they're very personal to me. And so our corporate values stem for my personal values, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So my first one is that we are people of extravagant faith. And when I first began to really pray about this and talk about it, I shared with people, I said, I want my first value to be value of faith. And so it just didn't really, it just didn't set well with me. And over time, then I added that word extravagant faith, because sometimes we're in situations to where we are forced to do nothing but believe God, and that takes extravagant faith. And so I began to really think about that and reach out and wanted to uh, really develop extravagant faith in my life. And that is basically this. I believe God is who he says he is, and that's a belief that I'm firmly rooted on. Secondly, I believe he can do what he says he can do. And so uh, in impossible situations where people come across the threshold of our doors and and other folks say, well, there's no hope for him or no hope for her, then I rely and lean on extravagant faith that God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do. And by the way, God says there's nothing impossible (laughs) with him. And so I choose to believe that. That's my first value is that I choose to believe God. In fact, in, in extravagant faith, you know, people ask me oftentimes, I guess I'm getting old with my white hair or whatever. They asked me, said, have you ever thought about what you would like imprinted on your tombstone? <laughs> and I would just simply like the fact that, yeah, no, just this, he believed God, you know, because to me, that sums up my life. I believe that God is who he says he is. And I believe that he can do what he says he can do. The second core value of myself is radical hospitality. Again, it's not just hospitality, it's radical hospitality. People that are with me in the moment are the most important people in the world. And we've all been in those situations where we're, we're talking to somebody and they're looking over our shoulder at somebody else in the room and wanting to talk with them, right? Yep. But we need to have eye contact, facial contact. We need to be zoned in to the people that God has placed in our path for that moment. That's radical hospitality, going the extra step to make people feel that they're valued, they have dignity, that they're loved, that they have worth. That's what God would do to each and every one of us, and therefore, that's what we should do to everyone else. Share the love of Christ. You know, the Bible says this, people will know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. And so it's how we treat each other. It's how we treat one another. It's how we treat the people that are that are poor and homeless and impoverished. It says so much about our character that that is one of our values. And then I, I the other one is just a value of excellence. And that doesn't mean we're perfect in everything we do, but it means that we strive to do the very best that we can do. And, and, and I oftentimes tell our staff, the Bible talks about whatever it is that you do, whatever it is that you do, do it as unto the Lord. And so that really speaks to excellence. I want to give my very best to the Lord. If I'm raising my kids, my sons, I want to raise them. I'm not perfect, but I want to raise them. With excellence, as if I'm raising them for the Lord. And by the way, I am, right? Yep. If I'm pastoring a church, if I'm working in a grocery store, if I'm serving the homeless, whatever, if I'm working on my car, whatever I do, I want to do as if I'm serving the Lord and working for the Lord. And that requires excellence. And just with me, one, and I know you asked for two, but I'm going oh. before one, one really important one for me is the culture of honor, honoring others. The Bible says to esteem others, depending on the translation you read, esteem others or honor others better than yourself. And what kind of world would we be living in right now if we all just simply obeyed that scripture, that I'm honoring you I'm I'm lifting up you. I'm praying for you. I want you to succeed. I want you to be successful. I want you to further your career. I'm honoring you and esteeming you more than me. But vice versa, you're doing that for me, Right. right? You're honoring me too. And so what kind of world would it be if we're all tripping over one another and fumbling around trying to honor each other better than ourselves. I think that's a a tremendous thing. And when we're dealing with the poor and we're dealing with the homeless, we, we talk about a culture of honor here, honoring the people, the board members, their donors, their volunteers, all the people that go about and help serve the homeless. But I bring it back and say, listen, that is so right. We need to do that, but we need to honor the homeless. We need to honor the poor. We need to honor them. They have dignity, they have value, and they have worth. And God has called us to honor them even above ourselves. So those are just a few of the
0: values that I think are very important. Well, I love those. They're they are both simple and profound. And a couple couple thoughts. So I don't know if you've seen or heard, but recently there's been some dialogue in our industry about whether organizations really should. Be, you know, focusing on what we would call donor-centered fundraising, or if they should, you know, if we should make this change to community-centered fundraising and how how do we balance the needs of of those we serve versus the needs of the donors? And I love that idea of the culture of honor because really then there's no way not to do both, right? And and I think it it takes away this us, us them mentality. And, and like you said, if, if we're each focused on serving one another, then we should be tripping over ourselves to take care of each other. I think that's, that's beautiful. Um, a follow-up for you on the radical hospitality. That makes a lot of sense to me when it comes to your guests and the people you serve. How do you as a leader help your team to live that out with one another? Uh, great question. And, and we talk about that often.
1: Radical hospitality is not just for the people we serve. It's for one another. We, we live life together, right, in serving the Lord, in serving the homeless and the poor. We live life together. And so we encounter situations together. And so as we're here uh, enjoying life and serving and ministering together, we become very important to one another. And I tell our team, Uh, We have about 150 staff people, and I tell them oftentimes, we are the ones that God has brought here today. Look around these rooms. Look around the people that, for whatever reason, God has brought us together as a family right here for this time. You are very important to the people around you, and they are very important to you. And so we are all encountering difficulties in life. You know, we may not be homeless. But we may have other issues in life that are just as traumatic to us. And so we need to pray for one another. We need to check in with one another. We need to lift one another up. And that when you see someone's having a difficult day, put yourself in their shoes and really just see what do you think they would need? How can you show radical hospitality to somebody that you work with that sits across the room from you? Share with the love of Christ with them. And so that's very very important hospitality is more so more than just the people that we serve, it's every single one of us. You know, I think it was John Maxwell said a lot of people have said this, and I don't know if he's the first one or not. If he if he isn't, I'm giving him credit, right? And that is people don't know care how much you know hmm. until they know how much you care. Yeah. And so we have to share a caring attitude and mentality with the people that are all around us and God has placed them in our path and we are there as children of God to love them and show
0: them hospitality. That's awesome. Thank you. So so let's talk a little bit about the last couple of years. Obviously with the the pandemic being what it is and, and um some of the the you know racial tensions and things that have gripped the nation. How how has how have those issues um, caused you to behave differently as a leader or have they, a- and, and also what is it done or what have you had to do differently to, to continue building a, and growing a healthy culture in the ministry because of these?
1: Oh, that's great. You know, this, um, uh, <laughs> this season that we've gone through has been very, very, um, revealing to me for a lot of things. And it's changed my perspective about some things and so i have friends you know prior to the pandemic that worked from home you know i share with them you know that doesn't interest me because my culture the culture that i want to create is one of 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 relationships and it's difficult to have relationships yeah. with somebody that works remotely right right and so uh and so, I had to pivot on that immediately. And we recognized that there are a lot of our different folks that could work from home because the kids were out of school, their husband may have lost their job, or whatever the situation was. And it was imminent or very important that they have the opportunity to work from home. And so, we created a flexible work arrangement. So, many of our employees that didn't have the day to day functions here at the mission could actually work from home. And so I learned, and I was just sharing some with some of them today. I learned that, that can be very fruitful, that can be very effective for both the ministry and their personal lives. I firmly believe that I don't, if you're having difficulty with your personal life, it will spill over into your work life. Yep. And so if I can help you by relieving some of the stress by creating a flexible work arrangement for you. You're going to benefit from that, and eventually the ministry will benefit from that. So that was one thing. And So when when you ask that question, I'm smiling because I was one of those guys that said, no, no one needs to be working from home. They all need to be here. But now that we're coming to the end of the pandemic, we are actually creating, have created, in fact, a flexible work arrangement policy so folks can continue to work at home and check in with the office maybe a day or two a week. And the rest of the time, serve from home, and we, we have found them to be very productive. We've found it actually, uh, in some cases, more productive. And so, uh, it's exciting, and it tells our employees, which I think is very important. You know, you matter. Hmm. You, you, what happens in your life, the needs that you have, you with your children, with school, and with all, you are very important to us, and you matter. And we did a lot of things throughout the time of the pandemic, that we, you know, we would send meals home to our uh, employees. We would do all kinds of fun things for them just to let them know, even though you're working at home, you're still a part of our family. And so the culture here, even though we had folks that were working uh, flexible from home or working remotely, I One of my number one jobs is to guard a culture. And so we still want to maintain the culture of relationships and a culture uh, that that causes us to be able to function well together. And so communication is incredibly important. So we started a newsletter that goes to all of our employees. Uh, both on in in house and work, but also remotely, and we keep up with everybody. You, you know, new children, new grandchildren, uh, going on vacation, your dogs, whatever it is that we can put <laughs> in the newsletter,
0: just keep everybody connected. Very cool. Okay, so um, you know whether whether it's COVID related or something else earlier in your career, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about you know maybe one of the biggest crises you ever faced as a leader and what you learned about yourself in the process.
1: Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, you know, I'm six, as I said earlier, I'm 60 years old because so, so therefore I've had uh, multiple crises. <laughs> I think one of you know, when, as you ask the question, uh, there's a couple of things that come to mind in Oklahoma city, uh, we were involved in a building campaign and we were going to uh, we were raising money. To build uh, is about a block away from where the Alfred Murrah bombing took place. Oh wow! And so that was in 1995, and we were about a month away from signing all the papers to move into what was the old YMCA building there, a block away from the bombing. And so then the bombing went off, and and it just devastated downtown Oklahoma City, and it, it destroyed our plans. And we had to go back to the drawing board and, and start over again. And I learned a lot through that process. Number one thing that I learned is that in his heart, a man may plan, plan his course, right? But God <laughs> determines his steps. And so so I, since that moment, and, and prior to that, but it just hit home to me that I can really come up with a lot of thinking and a lot of plans but I need to make room for God to change mm-hmm. and for God to move in that. So now, City Rescue Mission in Oklahoma City. Then we had to pivot. We had to, we bought an old schoolhouse with a gymnasium and cafeteria, and instead of starting from ground squ- ground up, there was a lot of things already in place with this building. We just had to rehab and add to, and it turned out to be a much better facility and place in the city than where the YMCA was originally that we were going to purchase. Hmm. And so uh, it's just, you know, giving it all to God and say, God, I've done everything that I can. And I think you called me to do, but I am leaving it all to you for your direction and for your guidance. And so, so to trust God, even when, you know, when that, when that situation happened that night, I remember shaking my head and wringing my hands You know how it is. You're like, oh, my Lord. I mean, we had all of our plans. Now they're all gone. But we had one more plan, and that was we didn't know what it was, but it was God. And so I I think just to trust God, even in the midst of the most terrible crisis, to know that you're not alone, that God has not forgotten you, God has not neglected you, that he is still directing your steps. The Bible says the steps of righteous men are ordered by God. That doesn't mean the steps of a perfect man. It's just that the steps of a man that trusts God, God will order your steps. We may not see it today, but we take confidence knowing that God is in control. And I learned that in that situation and others. And I have to tell you, another crisis in my leadership in Oklahoma City as well was uh, I had the, uh, the number two person at our ministry, which was my best friend and, uh, and a uh, situation happened where it was a, uh, it was a matter of uh, morality and I had to actually let him go. And that was a very difficult crisis for me because he was a very, very dear friend and still is today. <clears throat> but I learned in that moment that, that this ministry is, is bigger than us mm. This ministry and his calling that God has placed in our life, He has asked us to be stewards of it, not owners. Mm-hmm. Stewards. And so this is God's ministry, and so we are giving this to God. And I remember sitting down, with tears on my in my eyes, and talking with this gentleman and telling him how I loved him dearly. But this is a matter that is very important to the ministry. And uh, and we needed to part ways. And then uh, that conversation that we had was very long and in depth, but it really was a healing time for him and me both. And then he has since done well since then, understanding that, uh, you know, that 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 integrity and character and all of that matters in ministry. And uh, we held to that. And God then healed
0: his heart and mind as well. Those are great examples. Thank you. Um, one of the things I, I'm curious to get your perspective on, and this is something I, you know, I've, I've been working with nonprofit organizations for a little over 20 years now and a lot of ministries in my time. One of the, the things that I've been challenged in, in is, and you probably see this too, or I'd be curious if, if you don't, what your perspective might be. Um there, there's often a desire to brush conflict under the rug so as not to harm relationships, not to, you know, not to make people feel bad, but that often comes with the consequence of, you know, something festering and eventually getting even worse. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, how you address that kind of thing at the mission and, and just what your, what your experience has been and, and and maybe some ideas on how organizations might do that better.
1: Yeah, Uh, it's a very important topic, conflict, Uh, and I know there's different things that people call it conflict management, conflict resolution, but conflict is just a part of life. It's going to happen, and as you're working in business and relationship with people, you're going to have conflict, and the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man uh, sharpen another or affect another. And I tell people here at work oftentimes the only time that iron sharpens iron is when the only time that iron sharpens iron is when they're hitting one another, right? When they're <laughs> nope. conflicting with, that's the only time that I, you take a piece of iron and set them side by side. They don't sharpen one another. They only sharpen one another when they're actually hitting one another. And so uh, I use that as an illustration to say conflict is not negative. Conflict is good. I have a perspective, Andrew, about different things, and you you may have a perspective about different things. So we come together together. And we we share with one another our different viewpoints, and they may conflict. But when we leave, if we have the right heart and attitude, when we leave that conflict, then we will both be better for the for for the exercise. And so it's really strange you ask that because it's a kind of a funny thing for me. We have every place that I've ever worked uh, been a leader. We have a designated place we call the tunnel. And so we have, it's just a place in the hallway and we, we laughingly refer to it as the tunnel and the tunnel is just a spot in the hallway where you can go and meet with somebody. And that is where we conflict. (laughs) And so when we have a difference of agreement, you know, you may hear somebody say, Hey, would you just meet me in the tunnel? And we go to the tunnel, but it's a place of respect. (laughs) That's the number one thing. The rules are very simple. Respect. Your thought, your attitude, your, your the way you see things is very important to me. I respect that. I can't see it or don't see it the way you do, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong. It means that I'm missing something hmm. and vice versa. You are missing my point. And so conflict is good. In fact, we have... Uh, In leadership exercise I do with our team, I have a box that has, of course, all sides on it, and I have each of those sides of that box has a different color, and the top has a color as well, and so I'll place our leadership team around the room and place the box in the middle of the table, and I give everybody a sheet of paper, and I tell them, I said, you write down on a sheet of paper the color of the box. And so everybody had limited view, right? So they write the colors that they see. It's red, it's green, and the top is white. Well, on the other side, he sees the same box, but he sees different colors. Mm. And so the point of it is, in order for me to answer this correctly, I need you on the other side of the table. I see limited what I see, and I need you. I can sit here all day and argue with you and conflict with you. The box is red, green, and white. And you're telling me, no, it's black, blue, and purple, and white. And we're both right, but we need to come together instead of just argue. We need to come together and see that we need each other in the midst of this to wrap our minds around the situation. And so... Conflict is just a way of life. It's very, you know, I've been married married for 37 years. I have four grown sons. I have four uh, daughter-in-laws. I have uh, eight grandkids. and, And I have all the, let me tell you, there's plenty of conflict. But conflict to me is not negative. Conflict is good. You have a different view. I honor that. I need that you have a different personality. I need that in my life. And so the conflict that we experience brings us to a point that says, okay, here we are. Now let's wrap our minds around this with respect, with love, and with honor. I'm not saying that every time we leave that situation in agreement, but we leave better than we came. Hmm
0: that's really insightful so much in their value. Um, I, I have a 13 year old daughter so I know a lot about conflict right now as well <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I yeah, absolutely you know y- your point about uh, the 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 statement around iron sharpens iron it's so simple but I had never. Connected the dots on that. That you're right. It it's only in conflict that that can happen. I, I think that's a, a really great reminder, um, and I, I'm I can't wait to share that with my my own team. That's that's really insightful. Um, and we've got just a few more minutes. We, oh, if go I ahead. Can
1: add to that real quick.
0: Yeah. If I can add to that real quick, I just about an hour ago
1: went downstairs into our wood, into our shop. And I had a little piece of metal I was trying to craft into a fishing spoon, right? I love to go fishing. So we have a metal bench grinder down there. So I took that metal, that spoon, and I began to shape it into the way that I wanted it, right? On that grinder. And as I'm doing that, sparks are flying everywhere. Debris is going everywhere. But when it's all said and done, it's a very shiny, I think will be a very good fishing spoon. But it's very shiny. (laughs) The point of it is in order to get it to the spot that I wanted it, took all of that abrasive art and all that conflict. And so if we can have in our mind that conflict can, if we do it properly, it can lead us to something very healthy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What a what an also an just an interesting metaphor for how uh the challenges in our lives, you know, God can use to shape us into something completely different. You know, um, absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely. That, that's really encouraging. So, just a, a couple minutes left before I need to let you go for the day. Try to get you out of here, uh, even yeah. ahead of your team schedule. Um, tell tell me this. You know, if you if you could share a, a piece of feedback or advice with with new and upcoming leaders um, who maybe haven't had the same kind of challenges and trials and experiences that you and I have. Uh, what what are some things that you'd you'd share with them either as uh, you know encouragements or or things to watch out for? Well, uh,
1: great question. The, and it's very simple to me because I'm very I'm very simple, and that is you know, in growing up and being exposed to a lot of tremendous leaders. Myself, my father. Uh, the owner of Hobby Lobby, David Green, uh, Mark Green from Marta Christian Bookstore, uh, John Maxwell, many other pastors, leaders, I always felt, that still do, feel so inferior. How can I possibly rise to the level of leadership uh, that they're in? And so, uh, you know, I always felt like I cannot achieve leadership and Craig Rochelle, even at Life Church in Oklahoma City, I cannot achieve the level of leadership that they are. And so I always felt like I tried to be more. And my wife says at times that I was a chameleon, right? I was trying to act like somebody else, trying to talk like somebody else, trying to talk like John Maxwell or Zig Ziglar or try to lead like David Green. But here's the thing that I learned, and this is what I wish that i had learned when i was 25 i am unique i am there's only one me and i am going to be me god made me for a purpose and i don't have to be john maxwell i don't have to be in fact god didn't make me to be them he made me to be glenn cranfield so i want to spend my time in prayer, in reading, in devotions. I want to spend my time in learning to be all that Glenn can be and not measure my leadership ability against somebody else. Because if I'm doing that, then I'm always failing falling behind. I want to measure my giftedness and my leadership ability against the calling that God has placed in my life. And so the greatest thing that I that I tell young leaders is you're unique. God made you, and there's no one else like you. Don't sell that out. Mm-hmm. Don't try to be somebody else. Be the leader that God made you to be and calls you to be. You may be in the homeless ministry. You may be in retail. You may be in church ministry. You may be worship, You a singer, a songwriter, whatever it is be what God has called you to be. You know, certainly, we all need to be people of character. We need to be people of passion. We need to be people of excellence. But at the end of the day, what has God placed on your heart? That's what I wish somebody had told me, or they probably did. I just <laughs> wish I had listened at 25 to say, Glenn, be all that God has called you to
0: be. Don't try to be somebody else. Amen. I feel like i'm sure people told me something similar too i, I wish i would have listened at 25 as well that's that's right, great right, right. <laughs> thank you so much for being here this was a lot of fun i i feel like i've learned a lot and i've gone to church all at once in this conversation so <laughs> really appreciate the insights oh, that you shared today. great thank you yeah how thank how you can so folks much. uh how can folks learn learn more about nashville rescue mission Oh, yes. Great. Thank you. Go to
1: NashvilleRescueMission.org and there you can find all there is to know about the mission, uh, videos, uh, updates, and so forth. And uh, we love what we're doing here in Nashville and Middle Tennessee, so NashvilleRescueMission.org. And you can also subscribe to the Real Hope Podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. Go to the Real Hope Podcast and there we're talking about hope and we're talking about it. it's more than just wishful thinking. You know, I hope it doesn't rain tonight. That's wishful thinking. But the <laughs> hope that founded and built
0: upon God's plan and God's word, that's what we're talking about when we talk about real hope. Love it. And if someone wants to reach you directly, what's the best way for people to connect with you personally?
1: The best way is gcranfield.nashvillaretscommission.org. Again, gcranfield at Mission.org and be happy to entertain conversation
0: with anyone. Wonderful. Thank you so much again for being here. God bless. You too. Have you read my Amazon number one bestselling book, 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How You Can Avoid Them Yet? It's the book that I wrote with expertise from over 20 nonprofit leaders and their 300 years of combined experience. You can download it for free today. Just visit andrewolson.net and go to the free resources tab on my site.